Hi, welcome to The Beagle Has Landed. I'm your host, Laura Hersher. Glad to be here with you in 2019. Exciting time in genetics in 2019. Um, 18 years ago, sequencing a human genome cost $2.7 billion, and uh, now they will sequence your genome for free if you tell them your mother's maiden name. It seems like every day we have to learn something new or unlearn something old. But so far, so far, we've done more learning than fixing. And for people with genetic disease and the people that love them, I imagine the pace of change seems not frantic, but instead glacial. Still, there is progress and the promise of more progress to come. So it is a hopeful time and also, I imagine, a frustrating time. Um, and that's what I want to talk about with my guest today, Penny Wolfson and her son, Ansel Lurio. Hi, and welcome, Penny and Ansel. Hello. Hi. Hey. Ansel, who has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, is a Columbia University graduate with an MA in History Museum Studies, who has developed an expertise in designing museum programming for individuals with disabilities. He is a passionate cook and... And you had me right up until now, Ansel, a Yankees fan. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Penny is a writer with an advanced degrees in both writing and design who has woven these disparate interests into uh, writing on disability and design, starting with her own kitchen, among many other things. Penny has a BA, and she has an MA in nonfiction writing from Sarah Lawrence College. And about 18 years ago, our cross paths there for the first time um, it was very memorable to me. Um, I'm sure you don't remember me, but I heard you do a reading when you were working on Moonrise. Um, and what I remember so vividly from that afternoon was your description of the day that Ansel was diagnosed with Duchenne. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. Do you want to go back to that moment and, and, and tell us something about that, Penny? Well, it was pretty dramatic, um, although I wasn't there for the diagnosis. Um, Ansel had been having difficulties for probably a year or so that we noticed. He was almost three years old, or maybe you were already three. He was already three, yeah, and then, whatever, two and a half or three, and um, he'd been having a lot of cognitive difficulties, um, mostly language um, issues, not so much physical ones, but we did notice he couldn't do things like jump um, and run very well. So we had taken him to a number of doctors. We finally ended up at the Kennedy Center um, in the Bronx in New York. And he was seen by a bunch of different doctors, including a developmental pediatrician. who um, And nobody could really figure out what the issue was. We were getting... Um, you know, diagnoses like um, minimally brain damaged or, you know, some very broad ideas. But it wasn't until the doctor took a blood sample and um, sent it along to uh, a neurologist that we finally had a diagnosis. Um, that showed that Ansel's CK levels, creatinine kinase levels, were incredibly high, and he immediately diagnosed him as having muscular dystrophy. Um, my husband was the one who had taken Ansel to the doctor. So 
he was the one who was there when the diagnosis came. And then he had to tell me. So a lot of that, um, I, I've told about that in the book. Yeah, and, was and there was nothing good in that moment. Like, no. There was, no, right, there not was nothing good. But the thing about us, I guess, was we each were trying to protect each other, you know, or soften the blow for each other. We both, I think, so that we were able to not experience it as deeply for ourselves in a way as we were for each other. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what, good or if not. You, um, if Penny today could go back in time and talk to Penny that evening, what, what would you tell yeah. yourself? Um, well, I would tell myself that I could get through it and that we don't know everything when someone is diagnosed by a long shot. Um, Ansel has lived much longer than we thought and has done extremely well. Yeah, I was so, thinking when I, when I was reading that biography, I was thinking, like, what if I could have sat you down that day and said, like, Listen, this is this is your boy. This is his future. Um, that would probably have seemed amazing, right? Yes, and I think that um, the the neurologist would have been amazed. Um, so, you know, we weren't given a lot of of hope or even guidelines about what to do. And so, I think it's very very important to realize, I mean, I have a lot of respect for doctors. My husband's a physician, um, but I, I do think also that it's important to understand that we don't know everything. And did you get from doctors that they know anything, know everything? Sorry, it's like, what, what, did, um, well, were they, well, were they less example, than help? Not just doctors, but any medical professionals that you um, working with, um, what, what was helpful, what wasn't helpful? Um, hmm, that's, that's, that's a hard question. I mean, I think the neurologist, for example, dismissed um, the idea of physical therapy, and, and we found that it was very, very helpful to have a physical therapist. Um, we were really given a sense of no, no hope. I mean, listen, things have changed to some extent since then, but um, was there, in terms was of... Was there the, a moment in time where you thought to yourself whoa, you know, I'm just thinking about this year and next year. I got to start thinking more into the future, like this kid is doing well. Or, or did, did, uh, did Ansel himself a, push that? Like, like who? You well, know, I think there were, two, there were two things I would say to that. First of all, when we met with our rabbi, who we are close to, um, and we told him the diagnosis, and he said, well, it's time to start planning for Ansel's bar mitzvah. So Ansel was only two or three years old at the time. So that was very helpful to sort of see Ansel in those other terms. And to look, we did look at the future that way. In other senses, I don't think we looked too much at the future. I had a to another, not even a toddler, I had a nine-month-old at home at the same time. So there was a lot of stuff I just had to do in a daily way. Um, and nine, Your nine-month-old at that time is a girl, right? Um, so... Yeah, that's right. And so I just was kept busy with having a toddler and a, a you know, a baby um, at all at the same time, you know, above whatever was going on with Ansel. Um, so 
I also was because I think if someone had presented it to me completely as a muscle deterioration, I would have had more, uh, it would have been more stark. But Ansel's troubles began with cognition and language. And so it felt as though there was an important place I could have in advocating for him at school. So for, to whatever degree. I and how, old, in how old was he when you started working on the book? Oh, almost right away. So tell, tell I, us, I mean, like, like, do, a little, do a little promotion here. You, you wrote a book about your experience. How, I, I don't, I've read the book, but I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember how old he was when the book sort of finishes up. But young, kid. He's about 15 when the book finishes, and I started it. I started writing essays about Ansel when he was between three and four. So, I mean, it was really almost from the beginning I was writing it depends on what you mean by writing. I mean, I knew that I was going to start recording things. I had an idea in my head. I'm going to make... It was part of a way of making his life and my life meaningful. So I, I know that Moonrise is helpful to a lot of other people. Was it helpful to you? Sure. I mean, I, I think it was one way for me to live with... Um, you know, the challenge of this and the sadness of it and eventually the excitement about it, you know, the, the excitement about who Ansel actually is. And, and so, let, me bring, uh, let me bring Ansel in. Ansel, how's the book for you? Are you? Do you have any feelings about it? <laughs> do you, do you, positive? You're a teenager at the time, so that's, that can be Oh, you're talking about my feelings then? Yeah, your feelings then about the book, your feelings now, just whatever you want, really. Well, as I've told my mom before, it's more of a story of uh, my mom dealing with it than me. So, I mean, I've often said that I feel like a, a character in in the book. I mean, I disagreed with her about certain small, very small um, things that she said. She said I said, which I which I say I didn't say. So there's there's a little bit of that. Um, I mean, I would say that the most feel about the book is just proud that my my mom wrote a great book. So, um, pride in that. I mean, I guess it feels a little weird to be. A well, if she started it when you were three, basically, like you don't know an alternate reality in a sense. Like, well, I didn't. I didn't realize she was going to write a book until maybe my early teens. I don't. I mean, I knew she was writing essays, but I didn't. Really, they were going to turn to a book until about then. Can you can you remember back, Ansel? I sort of asked the same question. You were dealing with a lot with a lot of doctors, with um, yeah. with a lot of things you were told you were and weren't able to do. You obviously you ended up graduating from Columbia. I'm told you started out with them saying she has served some brain damage. Something happened in between there, right? Like something happened in between those two points. Um, do you remember, so. do you remember sort of a sense of pushing against limits and winning or did you just not like, like, like what you remember of that sort of change of process of expectations and goals? Well, I would say the more I moved out of special education, the more um, confidence I 
I became. So, I mean, it was definitely a process. It wasn't like. And how did, when I, so, so what was that described for, for people? Like you started in special education. Yeah, I started completely. And then I started being taken out of special ed for a certain class, for certain subjects. Um, and then I, uh, by, I mean, middle school, I was still um, getting some help with like a resource room. And, but I, I mean, it's sort of slowly went away until by the time I graduated high school, I wasn't really in, in special ed anymore. I mean, I think I managed to, some of it was just overcoming uh, my learning disabilities, dealing with things in a different way, I would say. Mm-hmm. So. so, but you, um, you, uh, in high school, you did this, uh, I read somewhere, you did yeah. this cooking course. You want to tell us about that decision and um, that, uh, how did that come about? Well, I mean, I always liked to cook and there was one day where we had a, a career day at the, um, the, in Westchester, we have like a, a, basically all the vocational stuff is in one campus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, different high schools don't really have their own vocational program. So we went to a career day there and they had it. Um, they, one of the things was, was a chef and they, um, it seemed like a really cool thing to do. And I mean, I talked to my guidance counselor or anything and everybody thought I was, was crazy because I mean, I was on a very academic track, but, um, I decided to, to do it. And, um, uh, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I only did it for one year, but, um, I guess it was considered pretty unusual, but managed to get to Columbia anyway. So yeah. I think so, it just made me more interesting. Um, I mean, I'm amazed. I'm really fascinated by it. And my, my kids grew up in Westchester and, uh, yeah. I don't recall them ever being offered vocational anything. Penny, did you yeah. feel like come on, aren't things like, don't you already have enough differences? No, you know, or no, did you I feel did, like feel the other thing? Like, like, you know what, we're liberated from all of those stereotypes about what you should do because we've gone yeah, to a different place. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I felt liberated. I felt the answer should do what, what he wanted to do. And um, he managed to, you know, finish up all the other stuff. He graduated third in his class. Second. Um, oh, sorry. I thought it was third. <laughs> what was the <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, he graduated very high in his class. He did, I think he got tutored in math, right? Um, yeah, very yeah, but, but During that book. And of course, yeah. apparently yeah. successfully. Cal- <laughs> but that wasn't actually so great because then I tried to take calculus and I had no idea what I was doing. But I may just not be good at math. I don't know. Oh, don't. Anyway, I, I, yes, I would say we probably had more of a feeling of, ah, <laughs> you know, he's so different anyway. What the hell, you know? Yeah. So you think, just, you think um, if you'd had a more like traditional experience with your first child from where you were coming from, you're, uh, that you would have been more sort of, wait a minute, no, you can't go off track here and go do, do a cooking course? I, I, don't, I don't know. We're pretty untraditional 
yeah. parents yeah. in some ways. I mean, I, I, you know, my daughter certainly didn't seem interested in doing anything like that, but, and my third just wasn't, I think, together enough to envision that. But, um, you know, I, so I, I think I would have, if any of my kids had suggested it, I, I, and they had figured out a way to do it, I would probably have said okay. So your third your third kid was the one born after you already knew about Ansel's diagnosis. Yeah. So yeah. what and they what was your experience there? Oh, well I devoted at least a whole chapter in the book to this. Um, <laughs> it's complicated. I mean, my first two children were two and a half years apart and then I had a miscarriage um, after Diana, I can't remember exactly when, but I didn't have another child for five years. So during that time, we thought a lot about whether we should have another. And um, of course, there were issues about, um, you know, genetic um, uh, disease, and which we hadn't known about for my daughter. Had you been um, had you been tested at this point to confirm that you were a carrier and not, uh, you know, a, it wasn't a new mutation? And, Yes, um, I, did, I, I didn't say about this, but when Ansel was diagnosed, my sister was 16 weeks pregnant, um, and we didn't know if we had Duchenne, you know, the gene in the family, the mutation. So actually, my whole, most of my family, I have three sisters, and my mother was still alive. We all were um, tested. It turned out my mother was a carrier, and one of my sisters was a carrier, the one who was pregnant. Um, it turned out her child was a daughter, so it didn't, I, I don't know, I doubt she's had genetic testing, but I, I, it turns out she was, you know, at least she was female, but mm-hmm. she didn't, it didn't get expressed. And then, so when um, I was pregnant, I did um, do, you know, the early testing, I think it was at 11 weeks, mm-hmm. um, and I first found out that the fetus was male, so mm-hmm. that you know, he had a 50-50 chance of having Duchenne. So that was kind of freaky. And they made, there was some problem with, 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 the, with the test. So they, it took quite a long time to get the results. So we finally got the results and it turned out that Toby, which we named him later, um, was um, not, did not have the gene, mm-hmm. did not have the so I went through, you know, it, it, nevertheless, the whole process was really upsetting um, and difficult. Mm-hmm. A lot of biting of nails. Um, we had in our village at that point an, an abortion clinic, which, which was being picketed daily. Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of the backdrop of, um, of this. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, You're like you're living so in your anyway, own sort of indie film there. Yeah, really, yeah. really. So that's, um, you know, that's essentially what happened. And, um, you know, of course, I was delighted to have a, a healthy baby um, who is ironically now decided to that that he is a she. So um, Toby with a Y is now Toby with an I. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other. That's a whole other story, but it's an interesting reflection on the whole issue of the male or the female fetus. And yeah, Um, well, it's also an interesting story. I mean, you, 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 you. It's it's also sort of 
mind blowing for me to think of, uh, 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 you, you know, obviously everybody is discussing gender these days. It's a popular yeah. topic. Yeah. And I think we've all become more thoughtful and more aware, at least hopefully. Yeah. We've all had the opportunity to become more thoughtful and aware. And t- to yeah. mix that in with, you know, X-linked diseases when we're thinking about yeah. X-linked diseases, you really aren't thinking of gender as a spectrum, right? Like that is really like, yeah. I'm sorry, either you can have this or you yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah, it's just there. So it's to mix X- the two up is just like, it's just kind yeah. of distressing my genetic counselor mind, you know, like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I know, it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting topic. And, and I'm uh, writing about some of that now. So, Well, great. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Um, so Ansel, you have studied educational programming for people with special needs, right? Yeah. I get that right. So, um, you want to tell me something about that or what, 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 what you had experienced that brought you to that topic? It's a wonderful thing to do. Um, what brought me to that topic exactly was sort of an sort of an accident um uh i mean i'm not doing it right now but um so i went to graduate school for history museum studies and i i took a couple of education classes i wasn't really thinking of special education but then there was um a job opening that after graduate school at the historic house trust of new york city and it was educational program for children with disabilities and my the director of my graduate program um recommended so i i did that for for about two or three years at the historic trust and it was i mean it was actually it ended up being a lot of it was for children with autism actually i I mean another i actually have a cousin who's on the autism spectrum so it, it I, I mean, I know a little bit of, about that sort of stuff, but um, I, I mean, a lot of it, though, just learning on on the job, I think I learned a lot about um, autism and other learning disabilities. Didn't you also, I don't mean to talk so much, but I thought you did something in grad school with a group of, of kids that had, uh, at the farm. Oh, know. yeah, Down, with Down syndrome, though, that was a program they did with all the education classes, but it, it was uh, up in Cooperstown where I went to school. They, the graduate program was uh, basically, um, uh, we had sort of a museum campus. They had the Farmer's Museum up there. Um, and uh, we, we had to make a, a program for a, a, a nearby school for um, children with Down syndrome. So, um, I, yeah, so, I mean, we did that project, did a special tour for them. Mm-hmm. So. so, so let me ask you about something else that you did. Um, you testified yeah. on behalf of Exondis, the, the medication yeah. for yeah, exactly. Duchenne's, even though that medication is not applicable for you, right? So I, did I get that right? Yeah, I think that's correct. So, um, uh, what was you? So, you went down to Washington um, when yeah. they were uh, 
discussing whether or not to approve that um, by the FDA. Yeah. Um, what what yeah. was the sort of essence of your um, testimony? Because that's actually kind of a somewhat controversial decision, right? I don't, I don't remember exactly, but some of it was about that I'm that uh, the testimony from me and others that we were willing for a greater risk than um, they usually have for these drugs. So it was sort of an idea that they should be fast-tracked. Um, uh, and I mean, even though it doesn't affect me directly, I mean, I've done that. I've gone to Washington a couple of uh, times for things like that. I mean, I, I, I feel like it's, I do this stuff not just for me, but for people like me. I mean, we're a community and we have to stick together to a certain extent. So. Um, do you follow, do you like stay on top of, follow the, there, there's a lot of pretty exciting research out there, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I try to keep on top of that. I have to admit, I don't understand a lot of the actual science, but um, I try to keep abreast of things. I mean, I'm always looking if I can be part of a, a drug trial or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm usually not, uh, mostly because they need... It, it's hard to do metrics on me for um, children who can still... A walk or things like that they can it's mm. more easy to do a metric where you like measure how far someone can walk or something mm-hmm. so and, and you're really an outlier too I don't think that no no yeah yeah they usually want younger younger people yeah for uh, those studies and yeah so one of the things with Exondis was kind of brought up this question of of hope like even if it wasn't going to be so it it felt i think it felt to a lot of people like turning that drug down would be like saying we're we're gonna deny hope to people in a community that really needs hope and at the Mm, same time there's a public health issue with approving a medication um unless it's genuinely going to provide dollars because it's so expensive and it's really those are really yeah. apples and oranges types thing to to try and balance, right? That's really difficult. Um, yeah, I, but I but, think that is. but yeah. there's also the issue that I mean, for people who are affected by Duchenne, it's the most important thing. But it's not it, it's not the disease that's affecting the most people. I mean, it's a lot. It makes a lot more sense to be putting money into things like AIDS research because it affects so many people. So I, I mean, I think it's we think it's the most important thing, but it really there's a lot of other things that are important. So I mean, it's hard to balance sometimes. Well, well that's even another question. I mean, yeah, I yeah. I mean, but not that there's anything wrong with bringing it up, but that's an interesting question. But I mean, I also think it brings up the question about um, the whole cure idea and the idea of remediating. Um, yeah. something, which I think that my husband and I kind of, we never were very hopeful in that regard. I mean, we never thought 
oh, we got to research all these different cures and then, you know, maybe something will happen. We, I don't think we ever really lived in that uh, headspace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we always did, well, this is what is available and this is what we can do and we'll go from there. So we were meticulous about making sure Ansel wore his well, leg braces from a very early age. And then when Ansel was old enough to help us make decisions about medications, um, he started taking steroids, which were kind of still experimental at that stage. Yeah. Um, now they're standard, you know, standard issue. Um, but a lot of other advances have come in respiratory and cardiac therapies, which have really yeah. probably extended Ansel's life quite a bit already. I, I remember reading that you said that he wanted to take up, I'm sorry, Ansel, what was the, it was a reed instrument. What was the instrument you wanted to, you played as a kid? I played clarinet. You played clarinet? I, I, I played it through college. So. And, yeah, and yeah. I remember reading that your mom said, she was like, oh, clarinet, what a bad choice because you're going to need, you know, more lung no, capacity. No, it, was the other, it was the other way around. Oh, okay. My husband said that. Oh. Yeah. And then you I turned out thinking that it was a great choice for him because it helped his lung capacity. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Correct. So what you're saying is that you focused on the incremental stuff and maybe other people yeah. weren't interested in incremental improvements. They wanted the, they wanted the magic bullet. That's, that's kind of the difference. I, I think that's very, that's very true. Um, I think, you know, that was true with muscular dystrophy association for a lot of years. And then we started getting involved in something called the parent project and their focus was a little bit more on the uh, incremental things. I mean, they also put a lot of money into research, tremendous amount of money into research for a cure. So I don't want to downplay that. But I think both things need to be happening. You know, of course, of course, the answer is like, why would you have to choose? Like you would do the... Yeah, I know. But but in, in fact, it really is kind of a choice, right? Like it's a public health choice. What do you put your dollars into? And it's an emotional choice. Like... What do you put your hope into? Um, yes, I think it's an emotional choice, very, very much. Um, I think the people, I mean, this is just my point of view, is that I think the people who are constantly trying to find a cure were, first of all, making their children's life, their child's life more difficult. They were, like, shopping around for those things all the time. Mm-hmm. We were trying to normalize things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also think it can be a real crap to go there in your head because you get you know it's you get disappointed so so much mm-hmm. uh, that I don't think I obviously I didn't think I could stand that Ansel do you um, do you ag- agree with your mom on that did you did you feel that to be a choice or that that was just the way you were raised so you didn't really th- think about that well I mean first of all I when my parents had me wear braces or they told me that I should take steroids so I generally just acquiesced also. So, I mean, I was very willing to do these things. So mm-hmm. I, I think part of it was also just just who I am. I mean, another kid might have rebelled more. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get just acquiesced from your bio, by the way. 
Um, you, 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 you sound like you. <laughs> well, maybe I just agree. I don't know. Yeah, I agreed. I, I get, but that you, 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 whenever a doctor, you sound like a strong-willed person to me. You know, like I give yeah, you. Yeah, but <laughs> he is a very strong-willed person. But I think his sister would probably say. Ansel always is like, he's just like us. He's just like his parents. <laughs> he, you think just like your parents do, you know. So I think we had a certain so you were on the same. Of, you were on the same page. We were on the same page a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah I guess. Well, I mean, so that, I think that's really interesting, and actually I think that's really helpful kind of thing for clinical people to hear because we also, you know, don't have infinite time with people, and we have to think about what do you stress, and um, maybe it's... Um, another another thing that we need to elicit from people like where are they yeah. what do they want um yeah and you mean uh, what, do they, what does the kid want or what well, does the uh, i mean at some point yeah. it's what does the kid want and at some point when they're younger like you say it's what does the what do the parents want um and you hope that that's yeah. the same agenda but you know i mean when their kids are four you can't separate them can't separate those agendas yeah. Wow, I'm I'm we are we are running out of time and this has just flown by. Um I love talking to the two of you. And thank you so much for doing this together. Um because I think it's honestly, I just think it's such a more interesting story and also so um hopeful and um I'm just it makes me happy that you guys are here together doing this. Um you want any last words on the topic addressing clinical people? Anything like you think, I just want you to know this. Well, I think that um, clinicians should remember that they don't always know the future um, and that they should listen to, <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think there's anything new, but they need to listen to parents. If a parent says, no, I, you may think they're minimally brain damaged. I see some incredible intelligence here. Sometimes, you know, clinicians need to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Ansel? Yeah, I kind of agree with that, yeah. Great. All right. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for coming and joining us here. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Um, Please uh, go to BeagleLanda.com, subscribe, follow me on Twitter, all that stuff. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.